Thank you so much, boy. It is great to be with you. You do church well. I like the way you look. I like the way you sound. Pastor David, Megan, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing and loving this community this much. You all are amazing. It's great to see you. I'm sorry it's been so long since I've been with you, but uh, life is busy. And we are all on our specific spots on the wall doing what we can to advance the kingdom and fend off the enemy. And for this Sunday, I'm privileged to be able to be with you. Turn with me over to the book of First Kings. The title of the message today is Building, excuse me, Dreaming God's Dreams. Dreaming God's Dreams. First Kings, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. First Kings chapter 3. Verses 3 through 13. First Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. It says, Now Solomon loved the Lord in walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in, in a dream at night and said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given to, to him a son who sits on the throne as it is to this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David and, and yet I'm but a little child I do not know how to go out or come in verse 8 your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted so your servant is your servant so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Verse 11. And God said to him, Because you have not asked this thing, because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor asked riches for yourselves, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. Verse 13, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. Lord, help us as we study. You know, it's one thing to respond to God when you're conscious. It's hard enough to make a good decision between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. When your, your, your eyes are open and you can discern what is going on and you, your mind is working. When you're asleep and you make the great response, I mean the greatest response. With respect to what God requires or asks of you. That's amazing, because you're, you're talking about the intent of the heart, not just a nice religious response. Because we, we know in this 
particular passage can make a good religious response. We say, oh, wait, 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 I've, I've seen this before. If God were to ask me while I'm, you know, conscious, what should you ask? Oh, I know, Solomon said, a wise and discerning heart. But is that in your heart to such a degree that when you are unconscious, when you have no control over your thought patterns, does it just flow out? Here we've got a young man. He even calls himself a little child. We think he was somewhere between 13 and 16 when he took the throne. It does not say. But we know he was so young that David said, My son is young and inexperienced. Please help him. He has no clue. And we know that he was really young because David did not appoint him to the throne until one of his other sons, one of David's other sons, decided that he would print up a business card and call himself king. A guy named Adonijah. And, and David had not said, you are the one who is to take my spot. But he was the eldest son, and he thought, surely, David is going to, my father is going to, to let me inherit the throne. And so David tried to wait long enough to where Solomon was old enough, where it would be obvious that he could then put him in charge. But he couldn't wait long enough before Adonijah realized, my dad's about to die. Meaning David was on his deathbed. He was going out. And Adonijah figured, I better do something before he passes. So we know that David would have put his son Solomon on the throne because he had told Bathsheba and God had told him that this is the one who was to reign if he had thought he was old enough to do so. But he didn't think he was old enough and that's why he kept waiting. Which meant Solomon was so young, he really had no clue. Most young men I know when you ask them what they want. She's got... She, she's, got, she's, got she's got some numbers to her. There are some CCs associated with that car. There, 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 there are, there, there, they want to be Steph Curry. They have posters on their walls of the people they want to be. And he had none of that. Unconscious, God comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Whoa! I want that girl right there. I want that car right there. I want to be MVP of the NBA for the next 10. And I want seven championships so I can better Michael. That's what most 14-year-olds would say. Not this one. So how did he get to the place where he could restrain all those desires? Remember, he was king. He could ask. He could do anything he wanted within his realm. Anything. And it wasn't that the things that he didn't ask for that God said, because you have not asked this, I'm going to do this for it. It wasn't that those were bad. Those would have been good. I want prosperity. I want protection. I want to make sure that my enemies don't come against me. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. It was just there was always something better. He wasn't asking. Even if he had asked for the things that God said, I'm glad you didn't ask for, he wasn't asking for sin. Meaning that there are good things that you can desire that aren't best. Where's your heart? We have to figure out how in the world do we stop ourselves from asking for worst. We usually do not have to figure out how we stop ourselves from asking for good. We're talking about the difference between good and great. And this is why God made Solomon great. Now there's no question. That his daddy had a lot to do with this. I mean, you talk about the springboard that his father set for him to jump into his destiny. Wow. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there are four things that I want to talk to you about regarding this passage. One, 
really right living. I mean, he was consistent in his worship. Secondly, there was a real consideration with respect to his past. Thirdly, there was a correct evaluation of his own life. And lastly, there was a conversation that God affirmed. So let's talk a little bit about what consistency looks like. It says, first of all, that Solomon loved God. If you want to have dreams that are consistent and in line with God's, then you're going to have to have some things that are adjusted in your life so that your heart is right. And the first place to start is making sure that your heart is aligned with him and that you love him with all of your heart, not part. He doesn't just occupy a little room called Sunday morning. In the other 168 hours of your life, you do what you want to do. There's got to be a love for him that consumes everything you, you desire, all that you want, and your love happens to be reflected in more than just affection. We're not talking about tendencies or leanings or feelings. You've got to love somebody the way they say they want to be loved if you want to love them. And Jesus said this in John 14, 15, if you love me, do what I say. If you love me, obey my commandments. Now, when you ask God, when you ask people, do they love God? Generally, they always say, oh, yeah. Yeah, me and him, we're close. We like me, God, like that. God. We have a thing going on. He has, we have an understanding, me and him. And they interpret most of the idea about love as affection or attention given every once in a while, more than most people do. But that's not how Jesus defines how we ought to love him. He says, if you love me, obey. Doesn't really matter much whether you're, you feel it, whether your emotions are really stimulated in the moment. You obey. It says that Solomon loved God. It says, secondly, he walked in the ways of his father David. Those are good ways to walk. Good ways. Something about the inheritance of his fathers that he enjoyed. He didn't despise. He didn't try to depart from what his dad did. Now, generally speaking, the next generation always tries to distinguish themselves from the prior one. And so this generation is, is distinguishing themselves in many ways. And this isn't a criticism. It's just reality. I don't mind a bit. Tattoos, the way they communicate with one another in Facebook or tweeting and, and Snapchat and Instagram. I don't do any of that. Now, I tweet a little bit, and I got some people who Facebook for me. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really not interested in letting you know I'm going to, to Chuck E. Cheese. I, I'm just not. I don't want you to know where I am on Tuesday. And I really don't care where you are. It, I just, I don't see the draw. I can't figure out how community is artificially fabricated there. Not a criticism. I just can't figure it out. I'm not smart enough. So I get it. But I'm convinced that this generation, when it grows up, they're going to be people that have very clean canvases. Do you know what that means? See, I know something you don't. I live in your world a little bit. It means there's no tattoos on your body because, well, my parents were full of them. And so whatever is the next thing to depart from the last thing, that's usually what the generation does. So I haven't changed my style of dress much over the last 30 years. I just waited for people to catch up again. 
They coming back my way. They are coming back my way. I got shoes that are 20 years old. I got suits that I fit back in 1991. And they're great today. You don't know it. I keep them good. I just say, It'll, I just wait. They'll be back. They'll be back. <laughs> David said, I love what my daddy did. He walked in the ways of his father. And the ways of his father were beautiful and they were right. And they were the highest. Now, his daddy made some mistakes. There's no question. But on balance in life, aren't you happy that God doesn't define you and keep you in the parameters of your last sin? He doesn't hold you in the jail of your last offense. Thanks be to God. And doesn't define you, even if it's not your last, your greatest. He doesn't define you by that. David did some horrible stuff in the middle of his life. Horrible. But God doesn't look at you on the basis of what you've done bad. If you repent, he wipes the slate clean. Now, it doesn't mean you may not have to suffer consequences for what you did, but it does mean how he views you is very different how you, than how you view yourself or how other people may want to define you. He walked in the ways of his father, David. Amazing. He loved his, his generational inheritance. This is an aside note. doesn't have anything to do with this, but it will next week, so hold on to it because next week is Father's Day. Kids, I know your parents are messed up. Love them and don't depart from their ways unless they're really doing bad. Depart from those ways. <laughs> and, and thirdly, he sacrificed well. You want to make sure that your heart is so in line with God that when you are unconscious, he can come to you and ask you a question and you respond at the highest level. These are some of the, the things you need to add in the recipe of your life. It's not just loving God. That's good. That's part of it. But it's making sure you hold on to stuff that was good in the prior generation. Thirdly, you sacrifice on a regular basis well. And it says he was at this place called Gibeon. Now this is where the ark, the, uh, the house of God had landed. Now the ark of God had been brought into Jerusalem by his dad a generation earlier. And so this is one of the few times that the ark and the house had been separated. Now over a period of about 80 years, there was not much continuity between the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle of God. They were in different spots because the Philistines had taken it, then they brought it back, and it wound up at Beth Shemesh, then it wound up at Abinadab's house, and, and then it wound up at Obed-Edom's house, and you read your, I'm not going to go through it, but you read your, and then it wound up, David brought it into to Jerusalem, but the, 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 the tabernacle never got there. And so they were separate. And so you, you weren't supposed to, to offer at the ark, you were supposed to offer where God prescribed, where the, the altar of incense, the, the burnt offering, offering, <laughs> The, bur the, mm -hmm. the burnt altar offering was there, which happened to be at the house. So that was in Gibeon. So he goes to Gibeon, and he offers to God. It says thousands of animals he offered. Thousands. Now, you, you look at that and you say, well, animal sacrifice, yeah, I don't understand it much. But, it's more. but you had to offer God your best. You couldn't offer him what you did not want. And how, how much is... How much is... USDA Prime filet. Nine, ten dollars a pound. Hamburger, two eighty-nine. Let's average it out to about four fifty. With a thousand pound animal. You're talking about four four thousand dollars per. Not to mention what they could have been in their reproductive capacity if they had stayed alive. 
you're talking maybe $25,000 per animal. And he offered thousands. Oh, he knew how to sacrifice well. How did, how's your sacrifice muscle working? Is it constantly extra, exercised or is it like a once a year moment? Is it like in every other moment when you, when you feel like, okay, we got a little extra now. We can go ahead and give. There ought to be something that is regular, that is regular in your life with respect to offering to God well if you want to dream his dreams. Because if your heart is polluted with stuff that ought not be there, especially intentionally, then you're going to have some, com- some competition with respect to how you think and how he thinks. And we're trying to remove all of that so that you can dream his dreams because his dreams work, work much better than yours. I realize you have some ideas that you think are really good, but they're not. I mean, they're, they're, they're just not. They, they might be better than what your parents had for you, and they might exceed that which your coach or your teacher had in mind for you. You might be living way above what anybody ever thought you could do. And may I be the, be the last to say, the latest? Congratulations. But you have not yet ascended to the place for which God has called you. There's a spot, there's a destiny that he calls you up to that is far above whatever you can ask or think. And the only way you can get in the realm of agreeing with what he said is to purify your soul and to practice best behavior on the regular so that you can root out sin and think about him constantly. You love him. You inherit the ways that are best from tradition and the past and you sacrifice on the regular. I love you so much. You're worthy of this. You following me? I know you don't hear me very often. I'm Brett, by the way. (laughs) Secondly, there was consideration and reflection. Consideration and reflection. As he he thought about his his father, wow. My dad, Lord, you gave me this throne because my daddy was, was amazing. He walked in your truth. He didn't just believe in your truth. He walked in your truth. He worked righteousness while he was here and he had an upright heart. What an amazing man. How is your walking in truth? Not your truth. The truth. There are things which you might know would be best rather than bad. But then there are things that God says that are better than your version of best. Do you walk in his truth, not yours? I'm happy that you are not suffering the consequences of the worst decision. But are you benefiting from the privileges that come from making the best decisions? Are you walking in truth? And in order to walk in truth, you have to know what it is. So I'm glad you're here this morning because this means you're hungry for truth. You want to know more about what the Bible has to say. But if this is the only time you are getting what you need... It's a rain shower once a week. Psalm says, Psalm 1, the man who is really wise, who fears the Lord, plants himself by the rivers of water. He meditates in his word day and night that he may be careful to do everything that is written in it. He is like the tree that plants himself by the rivers of living water, who yields its fruit in its season, prospers in whatever he does, and never withers. The tree doesn't dry up. Why? Because it's been planted by the rivers of water. When there is no rain, you can still get sustenance because your root system has a direct line to the river. In order to produce that, that means you've got to get in your word regularly, which 
means you must read your Bible. Thank you very much. Read your Bible every day. Every day, read your Bible, please. You say, well, that's what pastors do. That, that's what pastors do. No, that's what Christians do. Really good practicing Christians want the word of God in their life regularly. And they discipline themselves to say, Lord, I need to eat today. I need some good spiritual food today. And you eat three, you eat three squares. Some of you gone on that diet where you eat like six a day. You just take big snacks with you wherever you go and you're chowing down all the time. You graze all day long. Let the word of God be like that for you. Meditate in it day and night. That way you'll understand the truth in which you should walk. He said he did righteousness. David always tried to do. David, 99% of the time, the mistakes he made, notwithstanding, tried to do the best thing on behalf of humanity. He walked in righteousness. He worked it. He did it. Whenever it says righteousness in the Old Testament, generally it means your, your dealings with mankind, how you dealt with human beings. And you talk about a man who was unusual in his disposition toward how, regarding how he dealt with people, it was David. In times of war, you have every right to dispatch of the person who's trying to dispatch of you. Every right. It's war. It's not murder. It's war. And if you don't, there's some question as to your loyalty. Why didn't you take out the enemy? That he now lives and he can take some of our... Why didn't you at least capture him? David let Saul go twice. Let him go. Could have captured him. Could have killed him. And Saul was looking for him. Considered him public enemy number one. It was war. And David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. There would never been a king. Never been a king. Who had a rival. Who had had a a throne that was illegitimately his. Meaning the rival had the throne. And it it was supposed to be the other person's. That did not feel he was obligated to secure that throne for the benefit of the people by his own power. David said, I can wait on God. If God has put me there, nobody can withhold it from me. And if I take it myself, I won't have the confidence for the rest of my days that God put me there. Plus, I will have, I will have struck the Lord's anointed and offended my God. Who decides like that? Who treats humanity like nobody had? This is one of the, and there are many cases like this. This is one of the reasons that God said, I don't have anybody who seeks after my heart like David. He works with people the way God worked with people. Amazing. And then it says he had an upright heart, that he was always trying to figure out how can I make the highest and best decision. As he was being railroaded out of Jerusalem, because he had done some things and now he was reaping the consequences for his wrongdoing, there was a guy named Shimei who decided that, and he was a relative of Saul, the, the preceding king, and he decided, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to tell David what I think of him. I'm, finally, I can air my mind. That man is no longer on the throne. I'm, gonna give him a, I'm not going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to give him all my mind. He says, you murderer! God is dealing with you! And threw rocks at him. And did this not just in, followed him as he was going out of Jerusalem all the way down the way, doing this, shouting insults to the point where David's men 
very competent in war, Ted said to David, would you mind if I kill him? Would, would, would you mind? I just, it would make my day to dispatch of this dude because he is, he, he can't do this. David said, no, this is not the day for that. I've blown it royally and maybe the Lord has graced him to be able to let me know how bad my life, how bad my decisions were. He said, don't do that. Don't do it. And even when he was coming back, having been justified back on the throne, he didn't deal with Shimei. Those Shimei came back and said, I'm sorry, of course you are. Of course you are. He's back in power. David said, forgiveness today. Amazing. Upright. He never let his heart fall. If it did, he brought it back upright. What a man. Now this is Solomon's consideration in reflection. How do you look at your past? How do you look at what your parents did? Sons, daughters, all of us are. Do we always, do we normally think about what they didn't do right and define their parenting by that? I realize you might be hurt. I get it. None of them were perfect. Least of all me. But I look at my past very differently than through the, the matrix of pain. I'm grateful my daddy helped me. I'm grateful my mama made me, forced me not to speak slang. And to make sure that, that quote unquote, before they were Ebonics, Ebonics were a part of my vocabulary. I'm so great she was an English teacher. And, you know, I didn't like the fact that she didn't want me to speak in a certain way because all my friends spoke like that. She said, listen, boy, you're going to have to speak twice as good just to be heard. Stop it. And I had no idea I'd be making my living talking. <laughs> had no idea. I'm grateful. Now, my mama, uh, she was some, you know that passage over in Peter where it says, men, husbands ought to treat wives as a weaker vessel. I don't, my, that was not my mama. And I don't know any weak women. I don't think that passage is talking about women are weaker because I don't know any. I, do, I, I think I might know more weak men than I know weak women. I'm serious. I think the passage is talking about they are in a weaker position because they have to submit to you, knucklehead. Every day of their life, they realize they wake up tied to your hitch. And if you make a mistake, they suffer. You better understand they're in the weaker position. Therefore, you need to live with them in an understanding way. Because sometimes you don't even want to follow you. But they have to. My mother was strong. I mean strong. And though she made some mistakes like all mamas do, what a lady. She didn't know the Bible very well, but she, she drug us to church. And I'm so grateful because it laid a foundation for me. I didn't follow it. I went away from God when I was, by the time I was 20, I could not have been further away from God. But I knew what I was doing was wrong when somebody came to me and said, this is what you ought to do. And I said, done, I repent. I repented. I, I made a decision to repent in 20 minutes of a guy talking to me after living 20 years in sin. 20 minutes when I got the gospel I heard it I know it had been preached to me in my church many times I just didn't have ears to hear today I had ears to hear and when I heard it 20 minutes I said I'm, I'm, I'm not what you're talking about I need to change tell me what I need to do tell me where I need to go where'd I come from 
my mama, taking me to church, Sunday school, church, Wednesday night youth, take it, dragging me to church when I didn't want to go. How do you look at your past? You ought to have a very conciliatory viewpoint. Please, it's going to help you in your heart so that your heart is clean enough without all the bitterness and anger and resentment so you can dream God's dreams and not yours. Thirdly, correct self-evaluation. Because of our insecurities, we usually think we're a little bit better than we are. We really don't want people to see us for who we are because that would be embarrassing because we know who we are and we put on really good fronts in front of everybody else so nobody else will really know who we are. So we make them think we're somebody we're not in order for them to accept us because if they, they really knew who we were, we're not quite sure whether they would like what they see. Here's a man in his dreams is saying, I don't have a clue. I am young. I am inexperienced. I don't know how to go out or come in. Now, what that means is this. It, it, it was a reference to war. The king was the commander-in-chief. And his job was to lead his people out to war. It didn't mean that he went with them every time. David did, at least most times. But David was a warrior. Most kings weren't warriors. They were governors. So whether they went out or they didn't, they still led their people. And if you went out, the hope was that you would come in. If you went out and didn't come in, something bad happened on the field. So he said, I don't know how to go out or to come in. I don't know how to marshal the forces and give them a rallying cry like Braveheart. I don't know what to say to motivate them to, to lay down their lives for their family and the city. I don't know. I'm not good at that. I've never done that. I don't know strategy. I haven't been to West Point. God, I, I ain't got a clue. And if I went out, I'm not quite sure whether I'd come back. Basically, me? You think I'm the best choice? I don't think I am. And I have to govern all these people. They're so numerous. There's more than, the, than anyone can count. So many people I'm in charge of making good decisions for. I don't know how to do it. Correct self-evaluation. It is great for you to know what you can't do. It doesn't mean you're defined by that. It just means you know your starting point. And if you know your starting point, your realistic starting point, then you can right-size how you get to where you go. But if you're starting at the wrong point, thinking that you're more than you are, then what's going to happen is there's going to be a failure period that's going to, to, to upset you and everybody else around you. And ultimately, you're going to have to start where you should have started. You're going to have to get back there anyway. So you might as well get there in a hurry. Don't wait until everybody else knows by your failure that you weren't exactly who you said you were. Go ahead and start there. Humble yourself. Realize what you are not and then let God begin to equip you and exalt you to the spot that you want to be rather than trying to seize it on your own. Correct self-evaluation. When you correctly evaluate yourself, then God can come in and say, Oh, you, you know. I mean, I know. 
I've known for the longest. I know who you are. But that you know, oh, that's a good thing. That's really, really good. And then lastly, conversation, the kind of conversation that God affirms. Now, all of this, all of this happened when he was asleep. When he was asleep. It's amazing. He says, I need some help here. I need some help to, to under, this is his response. So God has asked him, what do you want? And he has laid out everything that will bring him to this point while he is sleeping. I don't know that I could, I don't know that I preach that well when I'm awake. This is so orderly and together. It is amazing. So while he's sleeping, he lays out all these things to get to this point. Lord, I need understanding more than anything else. Because I got all these people I have to judge. And if I'm not good at what I do, all these folks are going to suffer, which means my kingdom suffers, and you get, you get not the glory. People don't honor you as they should. I need understanding. I'm convinced that this here is a great prescription for anything you, you need from God. Parenting, entrepreneurial endeavors, whether you should move from one place to another, job opportunities, this is how you need to start. Lord, I need understanding. I need a clue, especially if you're a parent, because you really don't have a clue. First-time parents are probably the most ignorant people on the planet. You might find some who are a little bit more, but they're, 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 no, they're, they're equal. I, 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 you have no clue. It's not like a manual this baby came out with. And I read a bunch of books, a bunch of books, because I wanted to get it right. And after the first six months, I said, these books don't, don't mean a thing. I do not know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I was so clueless that on the way home from the hospital after our firstborn was came out in 1987 stayed three days that's what they did back then I had a little Dodge Colt car uh, and we, we got our, our our car seat and I, I didn't know how to put that in I figured it out I came to get mama holding the baby as I could mama was in a wheelchair put her in the car and put little Joseph in the back it was snowing you know it's, it's November so put little Joseph in the back and I, I put all these blankets around him in the car seat thinking I was keeping him safe from what I don't know but it felt right and then we drove out of Arlington Hospital and I put on my flashers we lived about a mile and a half away that's all just, just a mile and a half away put on my flashers and I did not exceed 24, 25 miles an hour the entire time home and everybody was honking at me it, and I was happy I knew I was being responsible I'm the father it's my job to care for my child drive on by, drive on by I didn't have a clue I didn't have a clue cry out for understanding cry out for it and this is one of the reasons 
that Solomon over and over and over and over in the book of Proverbs says, if you want anything from God, get understanding. If you want the first thing that you need to want, it's wisdom. Get that. Get knowledge. In all of your getting, he says it more than anything else he says in Proverbs. Start, you want to start someplace in God with respect to progress? Start at understanding wisdom and knowledge. Start at those three spots. You'll be in good shape. He cries out and says, give me understanding so I can help your people. And as I close, there is nothing more altruistic than to care for people. I am all for the last couple of decades emphasis on caring for animals. Love it. I was going to be a vet. I just didn't have the grades. Let me say this. I didn't have the kind of grades that got you into vet school. There are few vet schools, very few, like 25 in the country. There aren't many. And there are a lot of people who applied. I had a 3.5. It wasn't enough. You had to have a 3.9 and do a whole lot of other stuff. I just couldn't get in. But I wanted to care for animals. And as much as I love the fact that our society has grown to the place where we care about animals deeply. I mean, when, when I was growing up, a pet store was about 600 square feet. That's it. It was a little hole in the wall. And they had puppies on top of puppies on top of puppies on one side. And little fish over here. Now you've got department stores that are pet stores. And you have, you, you have pet spas. I, I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't know what to do with that one. Does the pet know? That's what I want to know. Does the dog know that he's going to the spa? (laughs) They're real. There's like four or five of them in Northern Virginia. And I'm sorry, if you send yours, happy. I'm glad for you. Good, good on you. Good on you. I just don't know. I want to know, does the dog know? But boy, I would like some of that compassion and emotion to go toward humanity. I'd like us to care for one another like that. To figure out how we can prefer one another's needs above our own. To get over our bitterness and anger and for... And, and, and issues of resentment that people possess because somebody did something wrong to them. And it, 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 it's legitimate that you should be disaffected by it, but you can't stay that way. If you want to be like God, who forgave all your sins, and, and everybody in here, I think, is at some level very happy that God didn't stay that way. Hallelujah. Oh, he was offended when you did wrong, but he didn't stay that way. He figured out a way to make you look prettier than you really are to clean you up when you couldn't clean yourself up he forgave you he he sacrificed his son for your benefit and let his blood cover all of your sins so that now you appear before him as if you have done nothing ever wrong if you want to be like God treat humanity like that love people and get past the things that have happened so that you can better them He said, help me in understanding so I can serve your people well and to judge them with equity. You want to make good judgments. And we're not just talking about a king that sits on a throne who had wisdom above anybody else who has been and never since other than Christ. Amazing. But we're talking about good decision making. 
You may never ever be in the spot where you have to sit down and have people come before you and make decisions on behalf of them. But you will be in the spot every day, in fact, where you have to make good decisions either for yourself, your kids, or those who are in your sphere of influence. Helping them unknot problems they can on their own or keeping them from going left when they should go right. Good decision making. Lord, help me better humanity while I'm here. You dream God's dreams by preparing your heart like Solomon did. You don't get to the place, though I'm, I'm priming the pump, you don't get to the place generally of dreaming God's dreams by now taking the recipe and reverse engineering, saying, God, I really want to be prosperous, so I realize I need to now ask you for understanding rather than money. That's the wrong heart. You're missing the point. You want to get here by the instruction that Solomon gives and by the instruction that I'm helping you understand today by purifying your heart so you love them, you walk in truth, you make sure you serve humanity, you're doing everything you possibly can to honor those who've gone before you, you're taking care of the big parts of life so that God can take care of the stuff you cannot. And you will find yourself all of a sudden dreaming things like you never thought thought you could big dreams and I don't want to qualify big as being those which have national influence and then being somehow more significant than those which are big for your family it's big with respect to wherever you are and what's got to be done big dreams bigger than the ones you presently have and more correct and accurate you're amazing let's pray